Greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. I have a lot of mixed thoughts as I'm thinking about this message this morning. My last message here, I talked about, I told you that I had two messages and that the first one was going to be a lot easier for me to preach than the second one. So that maybe tells you a little bit about it. I hope that the last message that I preached here was an encouragement to you that um, I believe that there's value here, that there's value in us being here, and that there's value in what you, each one of you brings to the congregation here. And these messages haven't been messages that just appeared on the radar in the last couple of weeks. They're actually things that I've been thinking about for several months. And I've just been processing them and trying to think about how to share them with you as a congregation. But I wanted the first message to, to establish a sense of my care for you and the importance that, that I have for the congregation. And I wanted that to be kind of the foundation of this message. I don't want you to think that I consider the subject of the morning this morning something that is a big problem here. But neither do I want to tell you that it doesn't exist. Do I have your interest? I hope so. I'm between a rock and a hard place this morning. The rock is God's Word. The hard place is not that everything that I say to this morning could be taken the way that I want it to be taken. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. What I want to say about the whole, another thing that I want to say about the whole idea of, you know, that I don't consider this particular to be a big problem, but I don't want to say that it doesn't exist. I want to kind of divert your focus away from that. Now that I've brought it up, I want to divert your focus away from that by saying that the message this morning has more to do with how we think about church, okay, than it does about whether there's a big problem or there's not a problem. And so that's, that's kind of the, the, more the framework that I want you to think about it. But, but I don't want to eliminate the idea that we all need to think about this personally, individually. I know that I do. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, and then verse 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee 
from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So Jesus gives a parable here about himself as a shepherd and the people who are following him as the sheep. So how would you describe from this parable the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? What's, and I'd, I'd like to get some input from you. What is the shepherd, what are, what's, what's his part in this relationship? What do you see in the shepherd? He's open for all who want to come. Okay. His way is the way to go. Good. He's intimately involved with them. He knows them. He leads them. Thank you. Yep, he cares about them. He cares about their welfare and their health. Yes, very good. Yep, a close knowledge. That's been good input. He protects them. He wants to be with them. He goes to the sheepfold and he calls them out to be with him. How about the sheep? What do you see in their relationship? They're part of the relationship. They trust him. That's good. They listen to him. They don't follow strangers but they do follow Him. They're familiar with Him too. They know Him. They know His voice. And we look at this picture that Jesus makes of the shepherd and the sheep, and we see it as something that is beautiful. There's something about that that connects with how we think about how things should be. It's a good relationship. You see a good relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And that relationship is interactive and that good relationship has a positive effect for, for the sheep and has a positive effect for the shepherd. And Jesus is the perfect example. We don't see Jesus going in and, and driving the sheep out to pasture. We see him going in and calling them to come. And they follow him and they go to pasture. And we don't see Jesus behind them pushing. We see Jesus in front of them leading. And we like that picture. Now, 
I don't know if this, this was the exact text. I didn't have my old Sunday school quarterlies, but a couple months ago, we looked at a passage very similar to this about Jesus being the shepherd. Okay, and we talked in, in the men's Sunday school class, especially we talked a lot about, about leadership and about Jesus' leadership. But the thing that really caught my attention as I went through there was not the leader, but the sheep. What do the sheep do? What, do, what should we do in relation to the shepherd? Well, we need to follow Christ, right? Being a Christian is being in a relationship with God. A relationship isn't something that is forced. A relationship is something that is engaged in voluntarily. A good relationship is a relationship that's engaged in voluntarily. And our level of voluntary engagement in the relationship determines much of the value that we give to it. But being a sheep in the flock of God is not a recliner position. Psalm 63, 8 says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. My soul followeth hard after thee. The psalmist there was engaging with the shepherd in an intentional, voluntary pursuit, following of him. So we need to follow Jesus, and I think we all know that. And in our hearts, we, we look at Jesus and we look at his perfect example and say, well, he's the perfect shepherd, and so we're going to follow him. And we do that gladly as Christian people. That's wonderful. That's how it ought to be. But that's not the only sheep and shepherd illustration in the Bible. Let me read you some more text. John 21, 17. <clears throat> He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he was... He said unto him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Acts twenty twenty eight, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So saying there, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And that the Holy Ghost had made these men overseers. Paul is talking to some church leaders on his, as he went on his final trip back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's talking to some church leaders and this is what he, that, those are the verses, or that's a verse in which he's giving them instruction to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 1 Peter 5.2, so Peter now, who was told by Jesus to feed his sheep, says this in his letter, uh, 1 Peter 5.2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, and then think about the, the, the picture of Jesus that we have of him leading the sheep, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not of filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And that word in samples there means examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. 
So these texts are saying the same, showing us the same pattern as Christ, as the way Christ leads His flock. Men are called to be shepherds of the flock of God, to lead out in the flock of God. And they're giving, given specific responsibilities to feed, to teach, to give oversight, to lead by example, by showing, by instruction. This is a sacred trust. A responsibility that carries the weight of souls. I'd like to ask John and Wesley to come up front here, if you would, and just stand here in the front and face the congregation. Do you know what these two men have been given? I was thinking about a specific verse. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So these men accepted a responsibility from God to watch for your souls. And brothers and sisters, that's a sacred trust. And they've taken that on voluntarily. Thank you, brothers. So that weight of responsibility rests on them. But wait. What does it mean for the flock? What do these verses mean for you? First Corinthians 4.16 Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. This is Paul writing. And the context of that passage, and you can look it up later, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you can look up the context of that passage. 1 Corinthians 4.16 was the verse that I read. But it's a father, Paul is, Paul is speaking, he says, as a father is speaking to his beloved son, is warning his beloved son. He appeals to them to follow his example so that he does not need to come to them in later verses with a rod. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So again, Paul speaking. And again, appealing to them to be followers of Him as they see Him following Christ. Philippians 3.17 Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 and, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So Paul is saying that those people there in Thessalonica became 
not only followers of the Lord, but also followers of Paul. They followed Paul's leadership. And then this is what happened. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So their following of the Lord and of Paul made them examples to others who were also following. And so there's some senses in which the message this morning applies to us in both senses. All of us. Because we're not independent of the flock. And we all in some way lead. And we all leave an example. 2 Thessalonians 3.8 neither, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves in samples unto you to follow us. Not because Paul didn't have the authority. He says not because we didn't have the, the authority to to demonstrate or to, to, to ask you to do something, but because he wanted to be an example. That was why he did the things that he did, because he wanted to be an example to them and to lead them by example. First Timothy, Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And so Paul is telling Timothy that his leadership that he needs to, to be focused in his leadership so that as, as he focuses on the things that are most important, that he will not only save himself, but also those who hear him. And so it's a very clear message for the flock to follow intentionally and voluntarily the example of their leaders. For a text... You can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. The title of the message this morning is Whose Faith Follow? Now the book of Hebrews is, I really enjoy the book of Hebrews. It's, it has a lot of comparison between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it uses the Old Testament to, to show illustrations of what the New Testament was going to be, and then it proves the New Testament to be better than the Old Testament in every way. And so it just takes step by step, it takes these, these looks into the Old Testament and says, here's what was in the Old Testament, now here's what's in the New Testament, see how much better this is. See how much more beautiful this is. I'm going to start reading at verse 28. Oh, no, I'm not quite there yet. Um, in chapter 11, then, we have this, what we call the, the faith chapter. And so there's this whole list of men who, by faith in God, lived out um, significant roles in the world and in the biblical story. And then we come to chapter 12, and chapter 12 begins with, you know, since we have all these examples, since we have all these, these people, this, all this testimony that's going before, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And let's make sure that we're living according so that the grace of God is abundantly supplied into our lives individually. 
And I'm going to start reading then at verse 18. For ye are not come into a mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor with blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So I'll stop there for a minute. So here we have a look at the Old Testament. And it's saying that, that the believers, that the Hebrews writer is writing to, those believers, they didn't come to that mountain. They didn't come to Mount Sinai. You see, the cloud came down on Mount Sinai, and it was, it was darkness, blackness, lightning. Um, there was a voice out of the mountain that, that when people heard it, they heard that voice out of the mountain. They said, you go talk to God, Moses. We don't want to have anything to do with that. They were scared. They were afraid. And then it, it concludes that with, oh yeah, and not only that, but even if, if, if an animal even touched the mountain, that animal had to be killed. I mean, it was, it was serious business. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That was the Old Covenant. Now let's hear about the New Covenant. Verse 22. But ye are coming to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for he, if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that were shaken, as to things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So it's saying that we have come to something that is living. We have come to something that is purifying. Something that's powerful and beautiful. And something that brings completion. That's what we have come to. To Mount Zion. To Jerusalem. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, the body of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, verse 28, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Wherefore, we received a kingdom that cannot be we receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. Let us have grace. Let us have grace for what purpose? Whereby we may serve God acceptably. And then he goes into chapter 13 and tells us what that looks like. Let brotherly love continue. Love one another. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby... 
for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Be hospitable. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Have compassion. I'm oversimplifying. But I'm hoping we're thinking about ourselves. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Be faithful to our marriage commitments. Be faithful to our moral purity. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. So we're to live in such a way that it's evident that we're not pursuing material things. And when people ask us why, we can say it's because God is my helper. I don't have to worry about that stuff. God provides for me. And then verse 7 is my text verse. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, considering the end of their conversation. I'd like to break this verse down just a little bit. And I like to think about it from the perspective of the flock to the shepherd. They are familiar with the shepherd. Remember. Remember speaks of both acknowledgement and also interaction together or observation. You familiarize yourself with how they live. You ask how they see things and situations because you want to learn. You see how they follow Christ. You familiarize yourself with how they follow Christ. They listen to Him who have spoken unto you the Word of God. Are you listening to learn? How are you listening? How do you listen? Who are you listening to? Do you believe that God equips those He calls? And if He does equip those who calls, why does He do it? Well, He does it for the benefit of His body so that His body can be built up. So it's for your benefit. So do you listen to learn? Or do you listen to think how you can respond? The sheep trust their shepherd, considering the end of their conversation. Because of your observation of this person's life, of the shepherd's life, you are willing to make yourself vulnerable to him. You see, trust really has to do with making yourself vulnerable. Trust gives up control. 
Remember how the shepherd led the flock out to pasture and took them to the pasture of his choice and showed them where they ought to go? It takes trust to walk like that. It's vulnerable. Because it's not the way that I choose to go, it's the way that the shepherd chose to go. It's releasing my right to direction. But it's not a foolish, blind trust. It's a trust where we see Christ being lived out. It's built on observation of a consistent life and a consistent outcome. The sheep follow him. Whose faith follow? If you pursue faith only on an individual level, you will limit your ability to grow. It's important to build personal conviction. But God is telling us that our lives and our faith should be built more than just by personal conviction. Our lives and our faith should be built by not only following of Jesus as we understand it, but also observing those who are living lives that are faithful to Him and patterning ourselves after those lives. By voluntarily and intentionally following those who we can see know Jesus Christ and are following Him. Whose faith follow? Whose faith are you following? And I want to I want to put something, some things that I think are pertinent in front of you. Is it the internet preacher who has a lot of good things to say, but you can tell by other things that you know about him that He's not living a life that's guided by the Word of God? Is that whose faith you're following? Is it the author of a well-written book whose life you know nothing about? Is it someone who you know distantly who in general, would live the way that you do. But there's no real accountability between you and that person. Or is it someone whose life you can watch closely? Is it someone whose life you have seen that there's something real there. Something that you want. Something that has changed the way they live and makes them live differently. Whose faith are you following? Second Timothy especially is, is very rich with this relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's like this, this father-son relationship. 
that is very close. Every Christian needs a Paul. Every Christian needs what Paul was to Timothy. Yes, we follow Christ. But we also need in the church to see how it's done and to live it out and to follow it. Do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have someone that is a spiritual father to you? And I believe this verse in Hebrews 13, 7 is telling us that we need to have those kind of relationships in congregational life. We need to have those kind of relationships. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. You see, it takes a giving of the heart. It takes a giving of your trust. It takes a giving of your love to really be able to transmit truth and gain truth. Where is your heart? I noticed in one of the songs we sang this morning, it said, lifting our hearts with our hands. And that was in with the idea of worship. But if, if, if our hands go up in worship and our heart doesn't go up in worship, we don't worship. But if our hearts really go up to worship, won't our hands go up too? So this spring, we bought 13 lambs. And they were just from... Well, 12 of them were a group, and then we got, had one other one that wasn't. And we bought them through the stockyard, and they came to our um, place on a trailer. And we made a little crack in the door of the trailer. And as we brought one of the boys got in the trailer and brought each lamb up, and we gave it a shot, and we wormed it, and we put it out into the pasture. And uh, that was the, that was, this has really been my first experience with lambs. And it's been really interesting. When they came off, when they were all off of that trailer, they reminded me of deer that were just slightly more tame. Not much. I mean, we couldn't get close to them. And we'd go to walk up to them, and they, as a whole group, would take off to the far side of the field. Well, Cade is our shepherd. He checks our sheep every day, goes out and makes sure they have water. He feeds them every day and just keeps an eye on them in general. And so now when Cade goes out to the pasture, instead of them running in the opposite direction, they come running for him. And when he's feeding them, he can put his hands on them. He can touch them as he's feeding them. They still have a lot of reserve. Just over the weekend, we tried to get, we got four of them that just aren't growing as well. And we tried to get those four in, get them separated from the other sheep, and we failed. Because, I mean, maybe if we'd have spent a lot more time, we, we could have. Um, they are still eating okay. But they still have a lot of reserve. 
And as soon as they thought that we were getting ready to shut the gate, their heads went up and out through the pasture they went. You see, we wanted to help those sheep. We wanted to help those lambs. We wanted to give them some extra grain. But their reserve from us kept that from happening. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that that was, that was the case because of the situation. And you know, we aren't perfect shepherds. Uh, we lost one of our sheep to circling disease several weeks ago. Uh, and that's basically a bacteria that gets into their head through their ear and it messes up their, it starts messing up their balance and whichever side it affects, they start going in a circle. So they eventually end up beside a fence usually and they'll be just be like pressed up against the fence. So we got the vet out and we tried to save the sheep and we, we, didn't, we couldn't save him. The thing I thought about later was, you know, we probably spent more money on that sheep trying to save him than we'd ever made in profit um, on him when we sell him. But see, we wanted to save the sheep. We didn't want to lose it. Another thing that, that's happened is I've been somewhat concerned about coyotes because we've seen some fairly close to our house. So we had a fairly good fence around the pasture, but not a good enough fence. And we had to go back in and, and build some more fence after we got our lambs because they were getting out of the pasture and they weren't just getting out of the pasture, they are getting out of the pasture on the side where the, where the brush and the coyotes and stuff are. And uh, I didn't want them to go out there, so we fixed up the fence and uh, they haven't figured out yet that it's safer to be close to us than it is out there in the brush. So I want to draw some things from this illustration. And the first thing that I want to say is that your leaders aren't perfect. Just like we didn't save the sheep, just like we didn't catch the, the issue soon enough, um, your leaders aren't perfect. And I look back uh, at the past while and I see a specific mistake that I made personally in relation to to the church here. And that, wa that was that right after the pandemic started and we didn't have church for a while and when we came back and had church again, I wish that I would have had us all get together and we'd have talked about it at that point. And I didn't do that because I didn't have the foresight. I didn't have the wisdom. I'm not perfect. And I feel like I made a mistake there. And I'm sorry about that. Because I think if we could would have done that, it'd have been good for us. It'd have been healthy. But I want to make it clear this morning that this message is not about pandemic regulations. Okay? I just bring that up. It's about how church should function. It's about how we should function together as a flock. But like the sheep, have some reservations about us as their shepherds? Are there areas where you have reservations about me? Where you have reservations about trusting me? And if there are those areas, will you come and talk to me about them?
So hopefully we can build up that trust and get rid of some of those reservations. Because we need to have trust together about the direction we're going. Your level of reserve in relation to leadership will hinder the work that they're able to do for the congregation. Maybe I should ask you this at the first. How honest can I be with you all from my position? I'm not, again, I'm not, it's not that I'm saying that, oh, this is, a, this is a huge problem. It's just a message that I think we need to think about. This is things we need to think about. And it feels funny to talk about these things as a pastor. But it doesn't change the truth. Sometimes I think our reservations keep us from enjoying the kind of fellowship we could more than anything else. It's not really the issues sometimes, but rather the reservations that hold us back from just engaging together and working through things and learning to trust each other and establishing that trust in the congregation. And in some senses, if we all maintain reservation towards each other, it will not only frustrate the work of the church, but it will also frustrate our ability to relate to the community, the witness that we are to the community. So we need to break down those reservations. The job of a true shepherd is not fence building. It is calling, feeding, and leading. See, the biblical shepherd was a good bit different from the shepherd that I was, that I am, or that Kate is. They were out in the wide open. But do you agree that the only way for this to work is that when the shepherd leads, the sheep follow. You see, if we have that understanding of shepherd leadership, then we also have to have the understanding of following sheep. And I know for myself that I've always wanted shepherd leadership. But it's been harder to be a following sheep. And it's been easier to say, well, they should just do things differently and not be willing to say, maybe I need to do things differently. And I remember one time that a brother came to me and he talked to me about uh, some things that I wore. And I had never thought about that before. I'd never, I'd never thought about it, never crossed my mind. In fact, the thing that he was talking about my perspective was enough different that I thought that what I was doing was 
doing what he was wanting. I don't know if that sounds confusing or not, but, but basically, I was trying to meet a principal one way, and he was seeing it from another direction, and he came and asked me why I was doing what I was doing over here when I thought I was trying to meet the very principal he was talking about. And I said, well, never thought about it like that before. Um, how, how should I have come to that conclusion? He said, what are your leaders doing? Oh, yeah. That's not really what they're doing. That's not really the example that they're setting. That was my thought reaction when he said that. It was like they were setting an example and they weren't telling me that I had to do it. They were just setting an example. And where am I getting my cues for how I do what I do? That changed some things that I did. And I was glad for that with some time. It took me some time to work through it, to think through it. And that's okay. But I love that brother, and I really, really appreciate him. And I value what he did for me there. So here's another way to think about it. Do you want to keep the fences down? then intentionally and voluntarily follow those who are leading you in faith. Now, I'm not saying that the right response is to build fences when people go astray. In fact, I don't really consider that a viable option. I think the things that we have agreed to as a church are brotherhood agreements, not fences. There are things that we, we engage in church voluntarily. We choose to be here this morning. If you're a member here, you have chosen to be a member here. Voluntarily. And the things that we've agreed to do together are, are brotherhood agreements. So if the shepherd is to lead and the sheep are to follow, then what happens when a sheep goes astray? Well, Jesus said... Go and find him and carry him back. Otherwise, he's going to be lost. Brothers and sisters, I really hope this morning that I'm giving you things to think about. Not particularly saying that I have it all figured out by any stretch, but rather, how do we think about the relationship of the church, the flock, the relationship between the flock and leadership, and leadership is part of the flock.
And there's the necessity for leadership to also submit themselves in some ways. But we don't know what the future will hold. The last couple years, or actually specifically the last year, we experienced some things that were really new to the church. And as our culture becomes more immoral and more socialistic, I think we can expect more pressure to be applied on our lives and on our churches. Directly, pressure directly, and pressure indirectly. And I think there's a lot of pressure on our churches right now and on our way of life. And my goal with the message this morning is just to call you to intentional, voluntary following of godly men and women who are living Christ-like lives. Find people who are living Christ-like lives who you have observed live Christ-like lives and use them as a pattern to be faithful. May God help us to that end.